Hello and welcome to the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Amanato and this is a preview of the 2020 Portuguese and Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Formula One again dives into the unknown, visiting a circuit it's never raced at before and another that hasn't seen F1 action in 14 years. First up is Algarve in Portugal, a real old school circuit with a wide variety of testing corners and dramatic undulation to challenge man and machine. F1 teams have a serious lack of information about this track. Not only has F1 never held a Grand Prix here, but the track has been freshly resurfaced in the lead up to this weekend's race, which means forecasting strategy is almost impossible. The previous surface was abrasive, and though the circuit owners have tried to replicate that characteristic in the new surface, it's impossible to make it identical. What we do know about a new surface is that grip tends to be very high while physical wear remains low. That means overheating is likely to be a challenge for drivers, although the mild autumnal conditions might ameliorate the situation a little bit. Teams will also devote the first 30 minutes of free practice too to testing the 2021 tyres, so there'll be a little bit less time to accumulate that crucial data. With so much unknown, Pirelli's made the conservative choice of bringing its hardest three tyres. The following week, it'll be on to Imola. A faster circuit, a little bit more in the style of the Nürburgring we've just visited, teams will have only a single 90-minute practice session on Saturday morning to match the middle three Pirelli ties to a track F1 hasn't raced at since 2006, which should create some nice form and strategy variation for the race. Whatever the strategy outcome, chances are Lewis Hamilton is going to make himself the most successful driver in F1 history this weekend or the next. Having matched Michael Schumacher's 91 win record at the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, a record-setting 92nd, maybe even a 93rd victory is on the cards. As part of my chat with the BBC's Jenny Gow last week, we talked about how far Hamilton could take this record and what position he holds as an icon of Formula One. So he's, he's inferred or implied he wants to stay around for another three years. <clears throat> that was in an interview did earlier this year. So if we, let's say... I mean, coronavirus withstanding. Let's say we managed to get away 18 races a year. I mean, 20 will be easier for the mathematicians <laughs> in me. So let's go with 20 races a year just <laughs> nice to make it really simple. Yeah. So that's 60 races that he's going to compete in. Uh, his win percentage, I think, is around 48%. I, I feel like that's right, but I'm plucking at straws now. I really want to look that up before in we go. In the Mercedes year, it would have to be, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, let's say his win rate is like 40, 40 odd percent. Then, you know, I mean, it's a no brainer that he's going to be somewhere in the region of another. Let's, let's be charitable. Let's say 25 wins. <laughs> and I think that's, mm. that's, you know, being charitable to everybody else. And I think you're looking at. <laughs> I think you're looking at him getting into the regions of, you know, 120 wins, potentially, mm. which is just, I mean, it's it's terrifying. Of course, <laughs> we're in a time where people are looking at 22 races a year and they wanted to try and get up to 25 races mm. a year. Of course, you're going to have more wins than in a time when there were 15 or 16 races per year. But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't take away from what he's doing. It just... And the metronomic precision of Mercedes mm. and of Lewis Hamilton is is terrifying for everybody else. <laughs> I'm just I'm go I'm just now going to Google his win percentage because it's going to do my head in too much not to know it. 
50%. I can't believe that's right, though. Hang on a minute. I want to look at her. That's That's just Google telling me that, and I just don't believe. Yeah, it's Google having a go. It heard this conversation and just regurgitated that. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably, you're right. Total win percentage, 34.7. Schumacher was on 35 at the equivalent point of his career. So like for like, I mean... They're, they're good drivers, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all right. They go okay. Look, we've got to hope at least okay. that no one equals that because imagine the dominance required to do this again. As good as it's been, as, as excellent as Mercedes and Hamilton have been, I don't think we want another run of this kind of domination. I, I Personally, I think. My question, though, Michael, would be, okay, the domination is, of course, you know, Part of this equation is Mercedes, mm-hmm. but let's say he just times his career well. He had wins with McLaren. Let's say regulation changes were happening next year and he decided to go off to Red Bull, for mm-hmm. example. It, it, is it less offensive to people <laughs> if the domination is the driver with different teams as opposed to the driver and team? Because to me, I think it, it often is the fact that it's the driver with one team that's offensive and if that driver has the ability to get his career manufactured to be with the right team at the right time then that's even another skill to bring to it so an advantage i think so i and i feel that we kind of saw that in 2017 2018 rather when ferrari kind of challenged and even though you know on balance hamilton won a lot and obviously won the title the fact that it was there was another team with, okay, it was mostly Vettel, but occasionally, you know, Raikkonen was playing a role at least. I think that does make a difference because there's always the question, you know, if you're only beating your teammate, which I know is actually the biggest thing in Formula 1, of course, but people are inclined to say, well, you know, Bottas is just the number two in the same way Barrichello is just the number two and whatever, Mark Webber with Sebastian Vettel, where, whereas if you're bringing up a team, if you're dragging a team up to be slightly more competitive than it should be, I think people are more receptive to that in a sport. We want to see people break break the boundaries they think that exist in the circumstances. So I think there is something in that. And you have to say, is it Hamilton's fault that Ferrari didn't win those two years? <laughs> no, it's Sebastian Vettel's, right? <laughs> is it Hamilton's fault that Red Bull can't produce a, a championship winning car? Mm. No, of course it's not Hamilton's fault. Hamilton, I think, would actually sometimes prefer to be challenged because the wins would mean more the wins would be viewed in a better way so I I feel like it's churlish almost to have a go at Hamilton for winning too much yeah no I think that's (laughs) absolutely true and you know I I remember when Bernie Eccleston said once I think it was that people don't complain that Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal win everything and you know increasingly also Novak Djokovic I suppose people want to go and see them play really well and maybe sometimes get beaten because that's that's a shock and impressive. But people love that they're very successful. And it seems strange that in Formula 1 we don't get that. Like the more someone wins rather than becoming more adored, of course, other than by their fans specifically, people just get sick of them. People hate them. People grow to, to really, I wouldn't say despise, but regret that Mercedes wins everything when really... They're just, as you said, doing such a better job than everyone else and should be applauded for that. Yeah, I just, I think everyone would love for it to be a real battle Mm -hmm. for, you know, for someone to throw down the gauntlet and be able to take on Hamilton. And the frustration, I think, with a a sport like Formula One as opposed to tennis is that you have the talent out there. There's no doubt that there is a talent in the field that could challenge Hamilton week in, week out. You know, Bottas is doing as good a job as he can and it's a great job because he... 
he is driving out of his socks to be able to keep up with Hamilton um, and, you know, to out-qualify him, which was so important to his weekend. It lined him up for what could have been a sensational weekend. He did a cracking job. You've got Verstappen out there. You've got Leclerc out there. You've got Ricardo out there. There are so many names in this field who, given the right machinery could make this championship battle thrilling year after year and we could be in the Senna Prost, you know, the louder hunt, all of those big battles we could be seeing now, but for the fact that Mercedes is just doing a better job than everybody else. It really should be the call for other teams to somehow lift their game, but I suppose for so many years, Red Bull being a great example as we touched on, for whatever reason, they just can't do it. And Red Bull's obviously a championship-winning team and that should really only serve to underline how good a job Mercedes is doing here? Because it's not as if they, you know, the first few years of the regulations, you could say, well, they got things right. But no team that gets things right this often is doing it by other teams tripping over themselves alone, I suppose. There's there's some kind of magic source, I suppose, to the Mercedes combination. And I mean, it's anyone's guess whether or not that'll ever be broken. Yeah, absolutely. And And you have to say, if uh, you just love for F1 to be able to come up with a solution and they're trying. <laughs> They just, it's just, uh, you know, a really difficult battle. And the fact that you've got the teams as part of the, you know, the whole makeup of the mm. rules means it's almost impossible to do anything to equalise the playing field for real because only big regulation changes can do that. Big regulation changes are off the cards now because of coronavirus and, you know, other economic and global factors. So, it's hard to see, and this gets us into a far bigger debate, which we won't go into now, um, but, it, you know, what is the future of F1 and how are they going to make this a championship where everyone can compete or at least some can compete? That was part of my chat with Jenny Gao, and you can hear the rest of it on the strategy review of the Eiffel Grand Prix from a couple of weeks ago. But this weekend, it's the Portuguese Grand Prix, and I'll be back in a few days to analyse all the action from Elgarve. Until then, you can subscribe to the Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter for our regular pre-race strategy guides. My name's Michael Laminato. I hope wherever you're listening, you're keeping safe and well, and I'll catch you next week for a review of the Portuguese Grand Prix. Thank you.